Right, our scripture this morning comes from Luke 2, chapter 1 through, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those whom with, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be in this building this morning. We thank you uh, again for all that you've done to get Anthem Church to this point. Uh, for your provision, for your clear hand, we thank you for uh, every new face, every familiar face in the room this morning. Um, we thank you for bringing each of us here by your divine appointment. Uh, we thank you for uh, the word uh, that we have the opportunity to hear. Give us ears to hear it, open our hearts. Um, we pray that you would develop Anthem Church into one that takes the gospel to this town and is involved in taking the gospel to the world. Uh, we pray for all those worldwide um, that are taking the gospel to the streets in their native lands, for folks that are going into foreign lands uh, to take the gospel, to those that have not heard it, we pray that you would protect them. Uh, we know that your word will not return void. Um, we just uh, thank you again uh, for this time, Lord. We pray that no one would walk out this morning without the confidence that they could stand before you if they were to die today, and that they would be granted entrance into your kingdom. Uh, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, good morning. Merry Christmas. This is our first Anthem Church Christmas. It's close to Sunday morning, you know, as far as Christmas morning as we get to this year. But it's just good to be here and to rejoice. And I love the songs that we, we sang. And, you know, Lance... This set it up properly. We wanted to kind of start in that place where God's people were in the Old Testament and this longing, this looking forward to when Jesus would arrive and then there's that night when he shows up and there's that great rejoicing that takes place. And, you know, we look back and we celebrate. We're still looking forward though, waiting for his return. And I love that the first coming of Jesus, like it secures, it guarantees that he will come back one day. So we're, we're rejoicing now. We just don't look back and celebrate Christmas. We look forward and just celebrate with anticipation the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. That is our great hope. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we, we would gather on a Sunday morning. That's why we plant a new church in Andrew. That's why we would go through all the work and all the trouble of remaking this space. If you saw it a few months ago, this was a radically different building. And now 455 West Depot, it's nice and clean and some cool stuff up on the walls and you know but we've got a ways to go and so that's why I've been saying uh, come January we're already looking to the next season as far as what it is that God wants for us so we don't want to sit on our laurels whatever a laurel is I still don't know what a laurel is but we want to celebrate the goodness of God of making all of this happen we're pausing we're enjoying our Sundays right and then come January that's why we're like Get into the small group. That's why we're starting our, our youth or our student ministry in January. That's why in January we start like flexing our muscles, our spiritual muscles, and like getting into the community and doing the very work that God has called us to do, which is to fill Andrew and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. So we want God to compose in us lives of 
love, faith, and hope so that we may go out and do that, do that with God working through us in our lives. Sound good? All right, very good. So um, this brings us to that time of the year. That time of the year is upon us where we are inundated with this very unique story. All right, that basically here, come Wednesday, December 25th, there is a story that we will not be able to escape. It will be on in the morning, it'll be on in the afternoon, it'll be on in the evening, it'll be on at night. You will not be able to get away from this, this thing, this story, absolutely capturing your imagination and your emotions and everything. Thank you, TNT, in advance. Thank you for your marathon of its, oh, not, I was about to say it's a wonderful life, right? I'm so old school. Like, of a Christmas story. Thank you for the story, right? The saga of Ralphie's pursuit of an official Red Rider carbine action 200 range shot air rifle. And everybody laughs right off the get-go. And the reason why we laugh, and I mean, most of us, unless you're a Scrooge, most of us like the movie, A Christmas Story. And I think the reason most of us like the story is that we relate to the characters in it. We relate to the, what happens in the movie. Uh, all of us probably can remember that one gift that we wanted when we were little. We begged and we pleaded and we fought and we wrote the letters and all of that stuff because we wanted whatever it is that that gift was. Right? And we probably all, at least some of us, can relate to some obscure relative giving us some randomly awkward gift and having to wear like the giant pink bunny outfit. We probably had something like that that was given to us at some point. Uh, some of us, depending on where you grew up, up north maybe, like you know what it's like to stick your tongue to a frozen metal pole. So we relate to the story. And some of us, if you grew up north, you know, not here, because here you can wear shorts during a Christmas apparently. Right outside, it's like 80 degrees and humid. It's like August. What in the world? Uh, some of us, if we grew up north, then you know what it's like for mom to bundle you up so much that if you fall in the snow, you know, you're not going to be able to get up. Some of us had a Scott, a Scott Farkas in our school. Some of you were Scott Farkas <laughs> in your school. Some of us may be able to be right in tune with Ralphie. When he says, over the course of years, I came to be quite a connoisseur of soap. My personal preference was for Lux. However, I found that Paul Malev had a hint. I'm sorry. Paul, I, I got to get this right, right? Paul Malev had a hint, a heaviness, yet sm mellow smoothness. It had a nice piquant flavor after dinner flavor. I completely just butchered that. Anyway, you get it, right? Like we, we some of us, if we ate soap, our parents, you know, we said, the fudge word, or whatever the case may be that Ralphie throws out there. All right, so we associate with the story, and I just read this week that the number one most popular, highest-ranking Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. And I think, and it, the article didn't say why, but I think it's because we relate to the story. We relate to the characters. We see ourselves in the events and in the people of that movie. And yeah, you know what, I'll watch it three or four times on Wednesday because it's a fun movie, it's enjoyable. Um, but here's the truth, and this, this is really actually sad, that the movie A Christmas Story has zero of the actual Christmas story in it. There is a complete void of anything resembling the birth of Jesus or having to do with the birth of Jesus. There's nothing about that in her. And it actually doesn't surprise me that that's the case. And the reason why is that we now, in case you didn't know this, we now are completely in a post-Christian world. We are in a post-Christian America. Like, we always used to say, and some of us grew up saying, this is a Christian nation. Folks, that is no longer the reality of this this country that we live in. It is a post-moral, post-Christian United States. It is a secular nation that we live in. So it's not surprising to me that the majority of people, when they're picking their favorite movie, say it's a Christmas story because they're, they're not thinking of Christmas through the prism of faith. right? They're not 
thinking of, they don't think of, Chris, of Christmas through, through faith, in terms of faith in Jesus, etc. They simply just see the story that they relate to. It's just their Christian, their Christmas experience that they're, that they're seeing when they're watching. So they relate to the events. They relate to the character. They see themselves in it. And so what I want us to do this morning, we're going to look at the text that Jimmy just read. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. And my hope is that we would do something that maybe a lot of us have never really done before. And I want us to read this story in such a way that we actually relate to it, that it actually relates to us, that we would see ourselves as one of the characters in the story. That's what I'm hoping to do. And so if you haven't done it, please turn to Luke chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, followed by John. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. So as you're flipping in your Bible or scrolling on your electronic device, either way, as you're doing that, I just want to bring us or point out two things that I want us to do this morning. And the first one is I want us to dig in. And here's the truth, and I don't know everyone in the room, and I don't know everyone's religious background or, or what your notions or thoughts are about Christmas. If you are someone who is very familiar with the Christmas story, here's the tendency on a sermon like this. Tune out. Because we get so familiar with the story, so familiar with the details, that it's easy for it to all become like static background noise. So I want us to dig to dig in. We become so, so familiar with the story that it loses or it's lost a certain level of majesty. We actually have ceased to be amazed by the story of the birth of Jesus. So I want us to dig in this morning, hunker down, concentrate, sit up, take a sip of coffee, whatever it takes, right? And just, I want us to like plunge in and mine out, dig out the truth that is embedded in this beautiful story, this amazing story. I want us to be overcome again. I want us to see it as if we're looking at it for the first time with fresh eyes and be astounded by the majesty of the birth of Jesus. That's number one. The second thing I want us to do this morning, I want us to relate to the characters in the story. I want us to see ourselves in some of these folks that are in the story. And there's three types of characters in the story. The first is the divine. Jesus. He's the main character. He gets the starring role. Right? That's Jesus. He gets the starring role not of this story, but of all history. He's God. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's all-powerful creator. He's merciful Savior. He is righteous judge. He's God. We're not. We can't relate to him. Right? He's God. There's just, we can't do that. We can't relate to Jesus that way. All right? Then the second group of characters, the second type of characters are the angels. And we really can't relate to angels. And the reason why is that we, we are made in the very image and the likeness of God. They are not. Like, that's amazing. We, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, can be adopted as the children of God. Angels do not have that privilege. So we could try to compare ourselves or relate ourselves to angels, but it's like trying to compare an apple to oranges. Like, there's a few things that are in common, but at the end of the day, they're just radically different. Same thing with us and angels, so it's hard to relate to them. But there's a third group of character, a third type of character in the story, and that is people. People are in the story. And so these are the folks that we need to see ourselves in as we look at the birth of Jesus, at the story of the birth of Jesus. All right, now, to let you know, of the people in the story, the people kind of fall under three different types, three different types of characters. Non-believers, those who have never trusted in Jesus. There are new believers, those who have just recently discovered Jesus and placed their faith in him. And then there are the mature or maturing, I should say, believers, maturing believers, those who are in a growing walk with Jesus. And so this morning, this is what we're seeing. We're going to look at these three types of folks, and we're going to see who it is that we relate to. And my prayer is that God would give us fresh eyes this morning, that we would see this story as if we're seeing it for the first time, amazed by the majesty of the birth of Jesus, astounded by it, and that God would give us fresh eyes that we may actually see ourselves for who we are 
where we really are and see ourselves in this great story that God has written and actually is continuing to write today. Make sense? All right, so let's read the first three verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So for those of you who like history, here's a little bit of background. The guy here who's called Caesar Augustus was born in 63 B.C., and his name when he was born was Gaius Octavius. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. When Gaius Octavius became a teenager, Julius Caesar adopted him as his own son. It's a big deal. When Julius Caesar was murdered, Gaius Octavius changed his name to Julius Caesar Octavian, and him and two other guys ruled the Roman Republic as a triumvirate. They ruled the Republic as a triumvirate. The other two guys are Marcus Lepidus, Lepidus, and the other one is Mark Antony, which is really more known for his salsa music and his brief marriage to J-Lo. Sweet laughter, pop culture reference. Uh, so then in 27 BC, this is what happens. The Roman Senate bestows on this guy, Octavian, the title Augustus. And with that, he becomes the first Roman emperor. This is this guy. This is the most powerful person on the planet. And that's who we're reading about in the first verse. And this emperor, he issues a decree, this imperial edict, this royal command that goes throughout the entire, the entire empire of Rome. And it says that everyone needs to go to their hometown and register. They're taking a census. And the purpose of the census is for tax assessment. They want to basically find out how much the government can collect. Some things never change, right? They're always looking for another penny. So they're always looking. Some things never change. And that's this guy. So he issues this decree and everyone's forced to go to their hometown to register for this. And we read here in verse chapter 4 that Joseph is one of those that has to go home. And Joseph also went up to Gal from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Um, Joseph is forced by the emperor, by his decree, to travel about 60 miles from Nazareth, where he was living, to Bethlehem, which is the town where his family is from. And Joseph doesn't go by himself. He, Mary goes along with him, so it tells us in verse 5, because he was of the house of lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so they're betrothed, and we talked about this a little bit last week. What does betrothed mean? It's not engaged. It's way more than engaged. They're technically married. They are legally husband and wife. They just don't live together yet, and they haven't consummated the marriage yet. That's all it means. So, but the fact that they're husband and wife explains why Mary goes with Joseph to Bethlehem to register. Okay. Now imagine this. Ladies, you're nine months pregnant. Now you're having to walk and or ride on a donkey for 60 miles over hard terrain. I've seen Jamie experience three third trimesters, and quite frankly, it looks absolutely miserable, and I just can't imagine what it would be like to walk that far, and they didn't have Skechers, and they didn't have the New Balance, right, this is like old school, these are actual Jesus sandals, <laughs> and traversing that much ground, like how hard, how challenging, how difficult would that be, and I'm a guy, and I'm, I relate to Joseph, how hard was this trip on my man? How hard was this? Every few minutes, Mary, I got, can I, I got to use the restroom. Can we stop? And he's like, stop drinking the water. Stop. Well, we're never going to get to Bethlehem. And then she retorts, like, the Son of God is sitting on my bladder. 
which is a very typical scenario that would happen to us today. But that's, the, that's what's happening here, that this woman, she's pregnant, and she goes all the way to Bethlehem. And what happens when they finally get there? That's what we read in verse 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. When she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So apparently before they left Nazareth, no one got on Expedia.com and no one got on Travelocity and no one went and booked a room in Bethlehem. So when they got there, there's no room for them anywhere. Contractions start. And the only thing that they can find is a stable. The only thing that's available is a stable. And just imagine this. Like she gives birth to Jesus and she swaddles him. And she lays him in what it's called a manger, but it's an animal's feeding trough. And she lays him down there. And I, I think this is a place where we have to slow down. Just slow down and let the majesty of this moment absolutely amaze us. The emperor issues a decree. And because of that decree, Joseph goes to Bethlehem. He goes to Bethlehem because that's where his family is from. And and Joseph's family is not just any family. It is the descendants of King David. And if you don't know much about King David, the dude was a total stud. And I'm not saying that because the Bible actually says he was good looking. I'm saying that because my man, when he was in his teens, he would single-handedly kill lions and bears. When he was a teenager, he single-handedly killed the giant Goliath when the entire nation of Israel was afraid of him. And on top of that, God refers to David as a man after his own heart. And folks, there is no greater accolade. There's no greater accolade that God could give anyone than for him to look at you and and say, you are someone after my own heart. And if you read the story, you find out that God establishes David as king of Israel. and, And then God makes this profound, this amazing promise to David, and we read that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I want you to understand and be like even amazed by this. This promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God makes to David takes place a thousand years prior to the events of Luke 2. And so when we're reading Luke 2, what we're seeing is God fulfilling the promise that he had made to his servant David. Like this should be amazing to us that God would keep his promise and the fulfillment of the promise is Jesus This child that is born is the king that will live in throne forever and forever. And this should absolutely amaze us. we, We should see like radical, amazing, amazing irony in what is taking place here. Jesus rules everything. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of existence. He's the king of time and space. All glory, all honor, all praise belong to him alone. Everything, everything belongs to Jesus. Everything, everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, everything belongs to him. He rules over it all. He rules over every atom. He rules over every galaxy. He rules over every second. He rules over every age. He rules over everything, and he does so without rival. And he does so in complete, total power he is the one who is wrapped in this marvelous astounding 
unapproachable light of the glory of God forever and ever. And here in the text we read that he is swaddled in cloth. That should amaze us that he would come down here and he, he should have been born in the greatest palace that this world could offer, but he was born in a stable and laid in a feeding trough. He who dwells in splendor, wrapped in marvelous light, is wrapped in just a peasant's cloth and laid in a manger. You know, though, the, though he was God himself, he took on flesh. Though he existed in the perfect goodness and the perfect righteousness of heaven, he came down into this dark, cold, sinful world. He could have lived it up while he was here, but he humbled himself for our good and for the glory of God. And this is why I think we need to note the words of Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11 say this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, in other words, though he was God himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other, in other words, what he's saying is that though he was God, he laid it aside. He let his supremacy aside. He didn't cease to be God. He just let, set aside the preeminence of that office. So he made himself nothing, taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, becoming like us, being born of a virgin, taking on flesh just like all of us so that he may identify with us he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father this is what makes Christmas so amazing. It is the story of the king coming out of his heavenly palace, taking on this, assuming flesh, God taking on flesh, living among us and living that sinless life that we should live. And in that life, culminating at the end with him being crucified, with him being nailed to a cross, and in that moment, taking upon himself all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, taking upon himself all our guilt and our shame. It, you know, some people may ask, what is sin? And sin is anything and everything that contradicts the nature and the character of God. Lying, cheating, gossiping, malice, Lust, pride, envy, vanity, drunkenness, sexual immorality, all of it. It's all, it's all sin in each and every sinful thought, sinful action, sinful word deserves the divine justice and judgment of God. But praise God that none, none in this room should ever, should ever have to go through the eternal consequences of our moral shortcomings. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. The king coming down, laying down what he deserved, that we may be spared what we deserve. Is that amazing? That's amazing. There's so much here. There's so much in this story to be amazed by. This emperor, this emperor issues a decree. Joseph goes to Bethlehem with his wife. And they're in Bethlehem, and that's where she gives birth to Jesus. And what should amaze us is that 700 years before the events of Luke 2, a prophet named Micah said that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Like, we should be amazed. Like, this isn't coincidence what is happening. This is God, the author of history, actually writing out this story of benevolence in the midst of human history, in the midst of humanity, writing out his story. And so let's 
look at the first character in the story. There's this guy, Augustus, and what is his role? What's his role? It, Augustus represents those who are non-believers, and these, this is a real story. These are true events. These are true people. I'm just saying that he represents, just some, for the sake of making a point, he represents those who have not yet placed or have never placed their faith and their trust in Jesus. And what should amaze us is this. Don't miss this. Augustus, though he doesn't care about the things of God, though he does not care about the story of God, nonetheless, God uses him to fulfill his purposes. Like this, this should really like mess with our brain that you have this all-powerful worldly ruler thinking he's all of that and he's in control and he's ruling his empire. He doesn't answer to anyone. And without his knowing, God is using him in this wonderful story of redemption for humanity. There, there's a truth that is throughout Scripture, and it is this. It is that God's will cannot be thwarted. And what that means is that in no shape, form, or fashion will God's plan ever cease to come about. That all of God's purposes will completely take place no matter what. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can hinder it. Nothing can prevent it. Because God is sovereign. He is in complete control over everything. He tells where the lightning bolt to strike. He tells the blade of grass when to grow, how much, how fast, how high. He knits us in our mother's womb. He superintends all of creation. It's all in the palm of his hand. Every last bit of it. He is the architect of history. And so he is writing out this, this story, this story of love and grace and glory. And that brings us to a choice that we have to make. Do you, do I, do we want to be someone that's a part of the story in which God is furthering the story in us and through us? Or do we want to be like Augustus, be someone that God furthers his story in spite of us? You know, that Augustus, he, he's in the line of many people in history. Emperor Cyrus of Persia, there's the uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, there's Judas who betrayed uh, Jesus. Individuals that did not want to have anything to do with God and rebelled from God and disobeyed God and rejected God and didn't want to have anything to do with this great story, this beautiful story that God is writing. Nonetheless, God used them to write this thing out, to, to continue this story out in the world. And here's the harsh reality that it did not end well for those men. So the choice is which do you want? And, and I'll, I'll even make the question a little bit harder. Um, do you see yourself as an Augustus? Do you see yourself as someone that God furthers his story in spite of you rather than someone who God furthers his story in and through? All right, let's move on. Let's read verses 8 through 14. And in the region... And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that, you will, be, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the, the scene shifts from this decree by the most powerful man on the planet to a group of lowly, humble shepherds, at night, watching over their sheep. And it's in the midst of that, right? The shepherds are in the midst of darkness. In the midst of darkness. And it's there that God comes crashing into their life. He 
interrupts their life, and he does so by shining the light of of his glory into their dark world. And, And just know this, that the glory of God here, yes, it was visible light, like the, the radiance of God shining down on humanity. It was that, and clearly some of that is displayed in this angelic host showing up and like singing God's praises and saying God's praises, but the glory of God is this. It is the grace of God. This is what really broke into the world. This is the inbreaking of God's benevolence into the world at this point. The glory of God that they they really that was really revealed to them and that they noticed was the grace of God being on display for humanity here. God brings everything to bear at this moment in time. In the fullness of time, this virgin gives birth to this son, and here it's such profound news that angels, multitudes, it doesn't even give us a number, multitudes of angels are dispatched They come crashing into this world and they start declaring the praises of the greatness of God. They're rejoicing. Angels who don't even benefit from the gospel. You understand this, that when the angels fall, when they rebelled against God, they don't get a a do-over. They don't get a spiritual mulligan. They don't have an opportunity to accept Jesus. Jesus died for those who are born in his image, for humanity. But angels nonetheless are in the heavens and they're declaring glory to God in the highest. They're praising him. And, and they're not just, it says that they're saying it. I actually wonder if they're singing it. I, I would say that maybe they're anthemming it. They're anthemming, they're preaching. The word saying there means they're preaching it. They're heralding it. They're singing the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. And what is it? A child is born. And through this child, peace is made available to man. The peace of God is made available to all who will trust that child, that will trust that man, that will trust that Savior. Because this isn't just some all-powerful king. This is an all-loving Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the promised one. He's the one that God promised beforehand would come into this world and deliver us from our sin. Deliver us from the consequences of our sin. Deliver us from our shame, from our guilt. This is, he's born, that's good news. That's Christmas. That's the gospel. Is that amazing? Is it amazing? How did the shepherds respond to that? Verses 15, 16, and 17 say, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Skip down to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So this is how they respond. They quickly, immediately, they make haste, is what it says. They run, they leave the sheep in the dark, in the dark pasture. They, they leave the sheep. They, they forget about tending the sheep. They want to go see the baby. They're responding in obedience to this child that has been told, that has been told to them about. So they quickly respond and they show up and they meet Jesus. And it tells us that instantly, in that moment, they begin telling people about everything that they've seen and everything that they've heard. In other words, instantly they started witnessing. They started evangelizing. They started sharing the good news of grace and hope and glory that had been made known to them. And as soon as they depart, right, they meet Jesus and instantly they're worshiping God. They're walking away, praising and glorifying and singing to God, singing about God. They're rejoicing as they move on. And so this is the truth. 
that the shepherds are so transformed by this story. They're so transformed by this, this story of grace and of glory and of love that their the entire life's demeanor changes. They become witnesses of Jesus, worshipers of God. In other words, what I'm saying is that now, instead of God furthering his story in spite of them, God is going to further his story in and through them. The shepherds represent new believers. Those that have just now or just recently come to faith in, in Jesus. Those that have recently placed their trust in Christ. And I want us to see what it looked like to be a new believer so that we, maybe we can see whether or not we relate to them. Because they were quick to respond in obedience. They were quick to meet Jesus. And when they met Jesus, they were quick to witness. And when they met Jesus, they were quick to worship. They were quick to allow, to let God, to give God permission to further his story in them and through them. So I asked at this point in the story, which character do you most associate with? Which one do you relate to? Which one do you see yourself in? Is it Augustus or is it the shepherds? What's your role? Where do, where do you fit in the story? And there is the third group of character, the third type of character in the story, and that is Mary and Joseph, the maturing believers. And by maturing, I mean that there is a growing walk with Jesus, like a, an ongoing, continuous, growing, deepening walk along with Christ in our daily, in our daily lives. Nine, nine months, at least nine months before this event here in Luke 2, God interrupted Mary and Joseph's life. Right? He, he crashed into their lives. He intervened into their lives, and he told them about this story. He shared his glory. He shared his grace with them. And how did they respond? They said, yes. And when they said yes, they were embracing, they were embracing a new kind of life, right, for God to further his story in them and through them, right? That's what they embrace. Well, folks, the reality is that that's not an easy life to accept. Mary, nine months pregnant, had to walk 60 miles or ride on a donkey over hard terrain 60 miles in order to allow God to further his story in her and through her. The reality is that the call to be a Christian is not an easy one. It is difficult. It is challenging. It is a call to die to self. It, it is a call to place God way ahead of us, to, to put others above us. It's a call to take up our cross and deny ourselves daily. It's a, it's a call to like sacrifice. It's a service rendered unto God and generosity given toward others. It's a, it's a life of faithfulness. It's obedience to God, not when it's easy, but when it's hard, especially, especially when it's inconvenient and difficult and challenging. And, and I won't lie, I don't think that on earth there is a life more difficult than being a follower of Jesus. And as difficult as it is, I know this for a fact, there is nothing more satisfying. You know, the, the moment that a person accepts this, this invitation into the story, what we're doing is that we're, we're now turning our backs on the pursuit of luxury and comfort, the entertainment, the pleasures of this world. But the true believer, we do that gladly. Why? Because all of that pales in comparison to that day when we're ushered into the very presence of God. And we will experience infinite luxury and eternal comfort and divine pleasures beyond our wildest dreams. What's it mean? What's it look like to be a growing follower of Jesus? Well, it clearly it means this humble, joyful, loving obedience to God. Now, here's, here's where it gets difficult, because for a lot of us, we say, okay, I, I understand that, I get that, but I can't get there every day. 
I struggle with it every day. Like, in my mind, I really want to be a faithful follower of God, and I want to love him, and I want to do all these things for him, and I want to serve and sacrifice and all of these things. I know that's good and right, and I want that, but each and every day, I struggle to do it. Like, I stumble to do it each and every day. So everyone, I mean, the question I probably get the most is, how? How? How do I do that? How do I do that? And I think verse 19 gives us a little bit of insight. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary did not understand everything that was happening, but she treasured it. Okay? She didn't fully grasp the enormity of God's love, the, the birth of Jesus. Like she, it was beyond her ability, theologically, intellectually, emotionally. Like it, such a huge thought, such a huge idea that, I mean, she only grasped a little bit of it. But what she grasped, she treasured it. She was pondered it is what it says, right? She pondered that truth. She pondered the love of God in her. And this is why I think this is important. Because the reason a lot of us fail to be loving, obedient servants of God each and every day is because we're not treasuring God each and every day. You have to ponder God, meditate on his truth, meditate on Jesus, think about the love of God, think about what he did for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He bled, he died, he went into a grave, he came back up again, he, he went to heaven, he's coming back one day, he loves us, God's spirit dwells within us, and you ponder it, you meditate on it, you marinate on it, you treasure it, and the more you treasure it, the greater will be your capacity to live a loving life of obedience before God. So are you treasuring? Are you pondering it? It's hard work. It's the hard work of being a maturing follower of Christ. And so there, there are the three options for us. In this Christmas story, in this story of grace, the story of glory, here are the, the three choices before us. Is that we can only relate to one of three people, Augustus, the shepherds, or Joseph and Mary. We can either associate with or see ourselves in the life of this non-believer who was content in ruling over his little world, right? Because at the end of the day, it was just a little world. It was just fleeting and insignificant. It was just here for a little while. And when he died, he was still on a collision course, course with the divine justice of God. Right? So God used him in spite of all that, but he's on a collision course. So do you see yourself in that? In other words, have you never trusted in Jesus? Have you never fully accepted the gospel into your heart? Or maybe you see yourself as one of the shepherds. Like, I just recently, I just recently got it. I just recently accepted Christ. Well, my question is, well, are you witnessing? Are you sharing Jesus with others? Are you worshiping God? Are you quick to obey in the, in the places where you get it and you understand, like, the stuff that God has revealed to you? Like, are you a shepherd? You, you, re you realize just recently you were in darkness and God shined his light on you, and there's a, a level of excitement, right? Are you, is that you? So do you see yourself as one of those in the story? Or... Do you see yourself as Mary and Joseph, someone who has been a believer for a while and you've been slowly growing in your Christ-likeness? Have you been pondering more and more this story of Jesus, this wonderful gift that is Christ? Or do you treasure him more today than you did five years ago? And does that treasuring overflow into the rest of your life? Does it overflow uh, into your life as a husband or a wife? Does it overflow as, as in your role as a parent? Does it overflow in your role as a, an employee at work or a neighbor? Are you growing? Like, is Christ coming out more and more since that day you first accepted Jesus? And those are the three options. And I tell you that how we choose and what we choose has eternal consequences. Because if the first one, it's infinite gloom, but if it's the other two, we're talking about infinite glory. So where are you in the story? Where do you fit in? Who do you relate to? And you don't answer to me. I'm not asking you. I'm asking you rhetorically, just in your own heart. Who are you? Augustus the shepherds or Mary and Joseph? And be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. 
um, last Sunday, after church, I'm, I'm home, and um, I turn on Netflix, and I turn on this uh, series called How the Universe Works. I'm a dork. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into space and galaxies and how the universe works. And Edie, my four-and-a-half-year-old, she sits right beside me. And it, it, I mean, we were like two seconds in, like, Daddy, I like this show. And I'm like, that's my girl, a nerd, just like me. And so we're watching <laughs> this show, and there's nothing Christian about this series. It is a secular science, you know, non-Christian view of how the universe came into existence. And we're watching this thing, and at some point they, they refer to the Big Bang. And what I love is this. Like, this, this is how I know Edie's my girl, right? She goes, Daddy, the Big Bang is when God made everything. I'm like, that's right. You know, ah, take that. <laughs> All right, and so I, I love that. Like, Edie, like, she instantly gets it, right? And so we're watching this show. And she's all into it and, and stuff. Um, and so a couple of nights ago, Friday night, she says, Daddy, can we watch the show about space and God, God made everything? I'm like, sure. So pull up Netflix and start watching episode two. And episode two is about black holes. All right, so this, this is like physics up here, quite, quite frankly. It, I'm into it. But anyway, I, I don't get it all. But Edie is like into it, and she's watching it, and she's literally going, this is cool. This is cool. <laughs> and she has me, I kid you not, explaining to her the phenomenon of spatial gravitational singularities. AKA black holes. Right? And she's like, wow, really? And <laughs> it's cute. And then at some point, the narrator actually said, black holes are caused when a star dies. You know, it becomes so big, its mass implodes on itself, it collapses, causes a spatial gravitational singularity. And the statement that the star died caught Edie's attention. And she turned to me and she said, do stars really die? And I was like, yeah, stars die. And she paused. She looked at me and she said, does everyone die? And there was that moment where I'm like, how do you answer that question to a four and a half year old? And so I said, yes. And she was moved, overcome in a way that I have never seen her. I mean, her emotion, it, it was just a wailing of emotions, tears falling, and like over just come by the thought that everyone dies. And here I'm thinking I've done some serious damage to Edie. <laughs> and when she collected herself just enough, you know what she said? She said, Daddy, you got to tell everyone about Jesus so they can trust in him before their body stops working. The story of Christmas forces that, that decision upon us. Because the reality is that one day our story, our personal little story, will come to an end on this planet. And we don't know when the curtain will close on our personal story. And we will enter into eternity and step into a, another story there. And we have but a tiny window while we are still here to make a decision, to make a choice as to whether I'm okay being Augustus and ruling in my own little world for now, but then stepping in eternity with the consequences of my moral failings coming before an all-perfect holy judge. Or would I rather be like one of the shepherds and grow to be like a Mary and a Joseph? That's the choice. And Christmas, and I, I do wonder if maybe that's why that movie, A Christmas Story, is the most popular one because it forces none of that on us. It, we don't have to come to grip with God and truth and morality and Jesus and the gospel. But the reality is that what we need to know, what we need to respond to is that, that God is writing this story and he's inviting all of us, all of us, to have a role in it. 
now and forever, every single one of us. That's the Christmas story. Like, it's not just about the birth of Jesus. It's the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the return of Jesus. That's the Christmas story. It's the gospel. It's the love of God. And so this morning, if you recognize, if you realize that you are an Augustus, God loves you. God loves you more than you can know. And, and all it takes is, I mean, it's not like some magical moment or anything. It's just you in the sincerity of your heart between you and God. Just, God, I'm a sinner. Rescue me. You sent Jesus to rescue me. Put my sin on him. Give me his righteousness. And just Jesus did it gladly. Right? Embrace him as Lord of your life. Like, give your life over to him. And begin that life where now God's plan, his story, is furthered in you and through you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, grow. Like, just continue to grow. Po- ponder the truth, the reality of Jesus, right? Ponder the truth and the reality of the gospel. Ponder the love of God, the grace. Just think about it. Marinate in it. Treasure it. Let it overflow into every aspect of your life, into your marriage, into your parenting, into your work, into your finances, into your your church going, into your your community service, into all of it. Let it just, Jesus, overflow, mature, walk with Jesus and grow further, more an intimate connection, a relationship with him. That's, That's Christmas. That's the gospel. That's love. What's your role? I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes, just bow their heads, and I'm just going to give everyone a moment of silence. And you yourselves, and I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and come up and just play lightly in the background. But just be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Which of these characters do you associate with? Which of these characters do you see yourself in? What's your role in the story? Is God furthering it in you and through you or in spite of you? How do you need to respond to him? Just to sit quietly and I'll pray out loud in just a moment. Father, enthroned above, we praise you this morning. You are sovereign over everything. You control everything, Lord. Even now, I hear thunder outside, Lord. You you bring the rain. You you bring the thunder. You bring the lightning, Lord. You are in control of the wind. You know where it comes from and where it is going, Lord. You are magnificent in power and in splendor. We are in awe your greatness, Lord. I pray, Lord, right now that you would manifest your power and your presence into the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, if there are any Augustus right here, right now, Lord, I pray that they would be transformed into a shepherd, that you would shine the light of your glory into their life, into their heart, Lord. all be witnesses of Jesus and worshipers of you, Lord, be quick to obey you and to 
love you, Lord, that we would treasure you in our hearts. Lord, we have nothing on this world but you. We have nothing in heaven but you. You are everything. You are all. Lord, and that through Jesus we can have the joy of the Lord abound in our hearts and our minds and our lives each and every day, Lord. Praise to you. We give glory to you, Lord. Thank you for this story of Christmas, this gospel, this good news. Because of that, Lord, we join with the angels, sing joy to the world, joy Jesus is here. Jesus has come, our deliverer, our Christ, our Messiah, our good priest. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And I ask everyone to stand. And we're going to sing loudly, and we're going to sing with joy. Joy, joy to the world.